0: Well, hello again. Good morning. Good Good to see you. I'm just going to warn my tech guys. My TV's not working, so uh, uh, I guess the first rule is that I have to be smarter than the technology, but uh, I got nothing there. Oh, there we go. Got a blank? Okay. Awesome. All right. (laughs) You do have to be smarter than technology to use it sometimes, don't you? Well, it's great to see you guys uh, on the other side of the sermon video. I'm usually leading worship on Sunday mornings, and It's my great privilege to share from the Word this morning. And I thought I'd just, you know, if you don't know who I am, maybe give you a little bit of background and tell a couple stories while I let my nerves calm down. It's been a couple years since I've had to preach, so, you know, feeling a bit tense. (laughs) Anyway, I came to Cross Church in 2006 as an intern when it was still Weston Gospel Church and I fell in love with this church. I just absolutely love the people here. I love the mission of the church. I love the neighborhood that we we're in. And so I went back for my last semester of Bible college, and I got engaged, and I graduated school. And, you know, kind of when that was all happening, I thought, you know, what do I want to do with this degree that I just got? And we got a phone call from Pastor Allen asking, hey, do you want to have a job as a youth pastor in Winnipeg? And Of course, we said yes, and my husband and I got married and moved to Winnipeg, and we moved into, you know, a little, nice little starter home, and I've kind of been on staff and had a couple of babies and taken on lots of roles since then, and uh, it's been a fun ride. And so in 2015, we finally moved out of our cute little starter home, and we moved into, you know, our grown-up house as I like to say. And uh, it was a really fun and exciting experience. We built the house, um, not with my salary from the church, but my husband has a better job than me, of course. Um, (laughs) And uh, we built this house and we moved in and our daughter was about two and a half. We hadn't yet had our son and uh, it was great. And then in January of 2016 or so, winter is always such It's kind of precarious on Sunday mornings. If you're on staff at a church, you're always kind of on edge in the wintertime. You're not quite sure what you're going to expect on Sunday mornings. It might be minus 50. It may be snowed 50 centimeters. You know, it's just you wake up feeling a little more tense than you do in the summertime. So anyway, one January morning in 2016, you know, we'd been in the house for a couple of months. And uh, I was getting ready to leave. My husband stays home with our daughter and now our son. And uh, he takes care of the kids so I can come and serve and do ministry here, which, you know, thumbs up to him. And I left the house. And uh, unbeknownst to me, it had sort of snowed just a little bit. Like, I don't know um, what a good measurable amount would be, but my mom would call it a skiff. A skiff of snow had fallen. And it had gotten quite windy. And there's there's a lake kind of you know, a few hundred meters from where our house is, and the wind had kind of blown the snow over the road. And I didn't really know that this is what happened. I just kind of went, oh, it snowed a little bit, scraped off the car, and off I went. And then uh, I'm driving down the main road to get out of our entrance, and I get stuck. Has that ever happened to anybody? Like, not like a little bit stuck, like, you know, you can get yourself out of it. Like, I mean, like the car went forward, and then it sank down. And then you're you're kind of caught on the snow, and you're just spinning your tires like this. So I'm I grew up in rural Manitoba. I'm from Verdun originally, so I know how to get myself out if I get stuck because I've had to do it in the country by myself before cell phones were around. If anybody remembers how hard that was in the winter time, uh, cell phones have changed lives since then. Um, So I tried, you know, my usual tricks. You try rocking back and forth. I had a shovel in the back, and so I'm trying to shovel myself out. And I'm in, like, you know, Sunday dress clothes. Like, I'm not wearing ski pants and boots and anything like that. I do have mitts on. So I'm trying to dig myself out. And then I try, you know, the the trick where you put your mat under the tire to try and get some traction. That, of course, doesn't work because, you know, I'm stuck on some snow that's been hardened by the wind overnight. And, like, I'm really stuck. So at this point, I'm like, okay, it's time to call someone. I call my husband. He doesn't answer. I call again. I had to call him about six times because his phone was plugged in upstairs, and he's downstairs with with our daughter. So finally, he comes, and he tries, you know, push and pull and push and pull. And he says, you know what? You're not going to get out. You're going to have to call a tow truck. And I was like, I am not calling a tow truck. I am way too proud to call a tow truck to come and pull me out. I grew up in rural Manitoba. I can get myself out of this. It's not too difficult. <laughs> Any other stubborn people here today? Okay, yeah, super stubborn. So anyway, he has to take the daughter back to the house because she's cold and upset. She's only two at this point. She's five now. She'll be glad to tell you that she's five, by the way. Um, so anyway, he leaves, and I... You know, I I would really love to tell you as someone who's been working in ministry all these years that, you know, I stopped and prayed and God gave me peace and calm and I was able to get out. No. I I maybe uh, yelled some very unchristian things at my car. (laughs) Has anybody ever done that? Nobody else was around. This is at like 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday. Everyone else is still sleeping. And uh, I finally give in. And I call CAA. And that that was the day I signed up for CAA. I still have it to this day. So I call him up. You know, hope is gone. I have no hope left. This car is going to be stuck here till April. I am not getting to church. Thank goodness Barry was leading worship that day. I was just serving in other areas. Um, But like, this is bad. Hope is gone. I'm like in tears. My makeup's all over the place. You know, I'm sweating because I was trying to dig out of the snow and my feet are wet and my socks have snow on them. And like you can just, you know, sort of picture how sad this looks. <laughs> so I you know about half an hour goes by, and the tow truck comes. And you know what he does? He hooks up a winch, he pushes a button, and he drags my car out, and he says, "Yeah, go out that exit over there. There's no snow there. Have a good day." <laughs> but really, this guy oh man. He was like my knight in shining armor that day. Like, I maybe told him that I love him. (laughs) Because I was so discouraged, you know, like, I am a proud Manitoban who has done, you know, 20 some odd winters, 30 some odd winters in Manitoba, and I have never had to call a tow truck before, and, you know, great pride, and, you know, I was sort of wiped out, and someone had to come and rescue me. And uh, I just wanted to tell that story to give us all a little chuckle, maybe remind myself to be humble, um, but we're actually talking about hope, and I'm telling you about how I lost my hope in that tow truck stories. So but anyway, um, Pastor Allen started our series last week. He talked about hope, and uh, we first started by defining hope as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. And uh, I love this verse that he shared. It's uh, one of my favorite verses around the idea of hope. And I, he, I think he used the CEV and the NIV, but I love what it says in the American King James. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it is the tree of life. Now, um, in, in my real human life story, you know, there was a hero. His name was the tow truck driver. I maybe told him I loved him. But uh, we humans, we love a good hero story, don't we? I think anybody that has a kid, you know, seven or under might know this this troop of heroes. Anybody know who that is? Paw Patrol is on a roll. And I love their catchphrase, uh, whenever you're in trouble, just yelp for help. Okay, those are the parents of the little <laughs> kids out there. We love the hero story. Maybe I'll do something a little more grown up. We love the story of Harry Potter. I know some of you might be cringing because you think it's not... Very Christian because he use magic. Some of you are cringing too much because he uses, there's too many allegories that go in line with the Bible. Anyway, Harry Potter, great hero stories of an unlikely hero in Harry Potter. And we've got, you know, Lord of the Rings, another great unlikely hero story. Those movies are far too long for me. I can't sit through them. I tried. Jesse Denkaff uh, a few years ago, he's a good friend of mine. He's Pastor Allen's oldest son. And he always kind of pokes fun at me. I'm not a real movie watcher. And so he made me sit down and watch Lord of the Rings. It was, it was the longest 35 hours of my life. But the story is really, really good. I, I you know, maybe read the books. And then uh, there's superheroes. I'm going to be honest. Okay. I was hoping to maybe make a connection with you. Because to be honest, I, I don't really know who anybody on that screen is. But it's heroes, right? All right, we're going to go back to that slide, talk about something else. So, uh, Psychology Today put out an article in 2014 called Five Surprising Ways Heroes Improve Our Lives. I'm just going to go briefly over the five ways. So, uh, number one, there's a, a recently identified emotion called elevation. When people experience elevation, they feel a mix of awe, reverence, and admiration for a morally beautiful act. The, emo- the emotion is described as similar to calmness, warmth, and love. I think we can all identify with that, right? Uh, we see this uh, when we hear feel-good news stories, especially at Christmas time. You know, you hear about great organizations like Toy Mountain, Christmas Cheerboard, you know, just bringing, being a hero to people in need. And uh, we can even experience elevation, the emotion of elevation when we act heroic, like when we give money or time or goods to, to people in need. Uh, another way that uh, heroes uh, change our lives is that it helps heal psychological wounds. Hero stories calm people's fears, buoy our spirits, nourish our hopes, and fosters important values of strength and resilience. It gives life greater purpose and meaning. Heroes also nourish our our connections with other people. So storytelling is a community-building activity, and this fosters a sense of family, group, and community, and it's central to our human emotional well-being. And now, Psychology Today is not a Christian publication, but we kind of hear this resemblance of, hmm, it, it cultivates family, group, and community. I wonder if church does that too, doesn't it? And finally, uh, heroes show us how to transform our lives. I think this one is obvious. As Christians, Jesus, who is the supposed hero in our story, right? I think yeah, I'm hearing yeah. yes, and I'm seeing heads nod. That's good. Uh, he teaches us how to be a better human being, doesn't he? Yes. Good. So why is it so hard for us to admit that we need a hero? Hmm. Interesting. I know my personal default can be to look at my life and just wish that things would be better. To wish that a magic button could be pushed. You guys remember the staples? They had the easy button. You just push a button and everything would be great. And someone would just swoop in and save the day. And I don't mean like in the damsel in distress way, like, you know, I need to call CAA and have them come winch me out of the snow. If only things were just a little bit better and I could push that button, and I would be a more patient mother. I know I seem very put together this morning, but my children will tell you differently that, you know, sometimes mom loses her cool. I wish I could be a better communicator with my husband. I wish we could push a, a button and we didn't have to do all the work that it takes to make a marriage work. I wish I could... Oh, we did a poll last night on Facebook, and I was shocked. Um... It, I can't remember what all the options were, but it was like pick one. You can only choose one. What would you have? A, eight hours of sleep. B, someone does your cooking and cleaning. I don't remember what C was. And D was somebody run all your errands. And everybody chose B, housekeeper. I personally would love eight hours of sleep, but that might just be because I have an almost two-year-old who you know, doesn't like to nap or sleep in. Um, but I wish I could be a better housekeeper or cook. I could push a button and everything would just be great. I wish I could be more organized. I wish I could be less selfish. I wish I could be better at keeping in touch with my friends. I mean, I with two little kids at home, I'm so thankful that my friends are just like me, and they have kids at home, too, because we never talk. Um, I wish I could be better at taking pictures and writing down milestones, and I certainly wish I could be a better Christian. Now, these hopes, if I'm not careful, if I don't hand them over to Jesus, can very quickly turn into looking like that. How Pastor Alan discussed last week, you know, hope for a lot of people just simply means squeezing your eyes and crossing your fingers really, really tight. He talked about how sometimes people are going to put their hope in gambling, or he talked for quite a bit last week in the first service about, you know, people going to bingo and just enjoying the hope that they have for the few minutes or hours that they're playing. Uh, sometimes we put our hope in a person, like our spouse or, or a friend. We put our hope in the ability to earn money. Uh, we put our hope in our kids and live vicariously through them. We put our hope in the government to come and save us. Or We put our hope in being able to protest the government. Yeah. But last week, I kind of had a thought, because I knew that what I was preaching on this week, and so I was sitting, you know, in my usual spot, thinking, okay, how can I build onto this and be a good speaker? I don't get to do it very often, so I try and do the best job I can. And I was thinking, what if there's somebody sitting in church this morning going, you know, I have no hope this morning. Things are bleak. Life is unfair. The scales are not tipped in my favor. I got the short straw. Maybe you don't know what the way out looks like. Maybe you're in the struggle part of the story this morning. You have little hope. Maybe finances are tight and Christmas is coming and you want to give your, your family or your kids everything but you just can't make it work. Or maybe you're experiencing a really tense relationship issue, maybe with a spouse or a friend and something got said that no somebody won't forgive or you're trying to forgive and it's hard to let go. Maybe work is difficult right now. You want a raise or a better job. Maybe your kids are, you know, wearing on your last nerve and pushing every button. Or they're having trouble at school with bullies or bad grades or bad influences. There's a whole list. We aren't the first people to have times of hopelessness. And I know last week we talked about putting our hope in Jesus do you have any hope to put anywhere right now? What happens when we lose our hope? First, I wanna say that I, these are, this isn't a definitive list, but if, if you're feeling one of the three things that I'm about to talk about this morning, this is a red flag that your hope is sort of declining and you need to do something about it. But one of the first things that we do when we lose our hope is uh, we start to display cynicism. Cynicism is an inclination to question whether something will happen or whether it's worthwhile. Cynicism is a first warning that you're beginning to lose hope. In other words, uh, cynicism is another word for being jaded, pessimistic, negative, bleak, hard-hearted. Is that you this morning? Are you hard-hearted? Have you stopped letting things in because you've become cynical? The next thing that happens when we begin to lose hope is... We get suspicious The system is rigged. Well, that guy's got an unfair advantage. He started with more money than I did. I'm not going to get my break because things aren't going to go in my way. That's what happens when we lose our hope. We get suspicious that you know maybe the system is rigged against us. Finally, we turn to desperation. People with no hope make poor decisions. Financially, if you have no hope. You know what you do? You go borrow a bunch of money that you shouldn't go borrow. When you have no hope in your family, you start treating people differently, don't you? You start saying things that you can't take back. Sometimes people get so desperate that their personal safety is at risk, and we're definitely seeing a rise in uh, people's mental health, having issues, and uh, people dealing with thoughts of suicide and maybe even taking steps towards that. That's really what happens when we have no hope. And the thing that I love about being a Christian is I know when I have no hope, this is this is the time when a hero named Jesus is ready to come in and save us. Now, um, let's turn, turn to the Word of God. The, these are the traits that the Jewish people were experiencing during the time where Jesus was born in as the Messiah. They were cynical. They were suspicious. They were desperate. Did you know there are some 55 prophecies in the Old Testament that talk specifically about a Messiah coming? Did you guys know that all 55 came true? That's incredible. Did you know that when Jesus was born, there was no hope in the Jewish community, but they had the hope of the coming Messiah? In fact, the first Old Testament prophecy that we see of the coming Messiah is listed in Genesis 12, uh, and scholars estimate that to have occurred around the year 2091 BC. Can you imagine waiting around for 2,000 years for a prophecy to come true? Like, I can't even wait 10 minutes when my husband's late for work, or late for coming home from work. We're already eating dinner before he's in the door. Could you imagine if your family clung to a 2,000-year-old promise that a Messiah was coming to save the day? Now, we all know from the last series uh, called The End, if you haven't heard that series, you can go online to crosschurch.ca slash listen, you can give that a listen, it was a great series. Um, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. God promises them a Messiah, but for centuries, they lose over and over and over again. They rise up to kingdom status, they get defeated, they become marginalized, and then in the time that Jesus arrives as a Messiah, they're ruled over by the Romans. Last week we heard that the Jewish people in Jesus' time, 90% of them, 9 out of 10, were living hand to mouth every week. Paycheck to paycheck is what we might call it. They're living below the poverty level. They're, They're literally dirt poor. They're so poor all they have is dirt. And on top of that, they're taxed. 10 to 15% of their income on top. Maybe more because of a corrupt system. I'm sure just about everybody here at one point or another has gone through a time of financial disparity where you know, the money's just not there and you need it. I for sure remember going through those days as a college student and it makes you feel really hopeless when you don't have enough money, doesn't it? It makes you feel like nobody's looking out for you. It's, you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps when you're like that. There's no welfare system. There's no social programs. It's every man, woman, and child for themselves. So hope was at an all-time low when Jesus was ushered into the world, but a small amount remained because of these prophecies of the coming Messiah. And what these people really needed was Jesus. All right, let's look what, and see what was promised to the Jews in Isaiah 9. Where is it? There we go. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in verse 7, it says, His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Oof. That's exciting. Can you imagine being hopeless and reading this? Oh, come soon, Jesus. I can just picture the nation of Israel. They're just clinging to this promise with all they have. Every time they were taxed, every time they felt injustice, every time they couldn't put food on the table, the Messiah is coming. And then he was born. And I imagine, I'm glad that it says in verse 6 that a child is born unto us because I think... The Jewish people were probably expecting, you know, Saul 2.0. You know, Saul in the, in the Old Testament, they chose him to be king, and he was big and mighty, and he could tear anything down and, and win any battle. But that's not what God chose for Israel and for us. He, he, he chose to come as a baby, a helpless, newborn, tiny baby. I've, I've had two babies of my own. Uh, it is astounding how much work is involved in keeping those babies alive, especially in those early days. They they most certainly do not seem like they can take care of themselves. And I, I often wonder about Mary, uh, especially when my kids were little and it would be near Christmas time, and I just wondered about Mary. Like, did she really know what she was getting herself into? Did she really know how much work it would be like did Jesus at what point did Jesus finally sleep through the night? <laughs> you know, did Jesus have terrible twos? What was that like? And and it's uh it's entertaining because you hear that Christmas carol, Mary, did you know? You know. Mary, did you really know? Well, in fact, she really did. Uh she knew that Jesus would be king. Um, but I'm I'm sure she did have her moments as a mother, but I just You know, when you hear this song on the radio, I want you to be able to answer, yes, Mary did know. We're just going to look at Luke 1. It says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. Her is Mary, of course. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So yes, Mary did know. Jesus grew up and he continued to fulfill all these prophecies. And people who I'm sure might be like me, they might be skeptical of his kingship me in the past i'm convinced now but really this baby boy that was born as a human yeah it fulfilled some prophecies but was he really the king of kings how do we know that jesus was the real messiah well for starters he fulfilled all 55 of the prophecies in the old testament of his coming now the probability of this happening there was there was a study done uh, by a professor of mathematics, his name is uh, Peter Stoner, which I think is a hilarious name for a college professor. Um, <clears throat> I think that's reasons for that are obvious. But anyway, he gave six students a math, six hundred students a math probability problem that would determine the odds for one person fulfilling only eight, not all fifty-five, but just eight specific prophecies. Um, this is not the same as flipping a coin eight times in a row and getting heads each time. Um, but first, the students calculated the odds of one person fulfilling all the conditions of one specific prophecies. Uh, such as being uh, betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, riding in on a donkey. You know, there are a whole bunch of them. And the students did their best to estimate the odds for all of the eight prophecies combined. So just eight, not even all 55 the students calculated that the odds against one person fulfilling all eight prophecies are astronomical. One, in, one out of ten to the 21st power, which is a huge number. I can't even, like I'm not a math person. That's just, you know, lots and lots of zeros. So um, my non-mathematical brain thought that I would try and help illustrate that for you. So imagine um, blanket the earth land mass, just the land, not the water, uh, with silver dollars 120 feet high, the whole earth, 120 feet high, silver dollars. Secondly, specially mark one of those dollars and randomly bury it. Third, ask a person to travel the earth, so they got to pick a spot on the globe to go to, select the marked dollar while blindfolded from the trillions of dollars. To say that there's a high probability that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, yeah, it's kind of like one in trillions and trillions and trillions, or one to 21 by the 10th power. I I can't even fathom that number. The second reason we know that Jesus is the Messiah is the miracles that he performed, uh, all the way from, you know, turning water into wine as his first miracle, to, to healing the ear of the soldier whose ear was cut off, um... He, they were witnessed by literally tens of thousands of people. Like, can you imagine being at the dinner where Jesus divided the fish and the loaves? Like, can you imagine being there? It's so true. Jesus was declared and accepted king of the Jews while riding on his donkey, which, by the way, was prophesied that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Like, even down to that detail before he was crucified, and that happened in Matthew 21. And after his crucifixion, he rose from the dead, and over 500 people saw him to confirm that he was alive. Like, this is beyond mass conspiracy levels now. Like, logic tells us that with all these things happening next to each other, Jesus is the Messiah. Did you know that God makes and keeps over 3,000 promises in the Bible? 3,000, like it's not one or two. I know there are people that are skeptical of the faith, but when you look at these numbers, it's really impossible to conclude otherwise. Jesus is the Messiah. So I know some of you are thinking, okay, these are interesting statistics. Yeah, okay, I'll buy Jesus is is the Messiah. But what does this have to do with you and me? How do these facts compel me to believe that Jesus cares about me and my future? So if the Bible and history and all the facts are true, Jesus really is king. I'm just going to go back to this uh, scripture verse. If Jesus is king, where is his kingdom? For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I think the people in Jesus' time were thinking he was going to overthrow the Roman government. And he was going to, you know, kind of have this structure of a kingdom that was going to last. Like they, they couldn't fathom what, what they meant by this verse. But what really Jesus came to do was to come and establish a kingdom in each of our hearts. And that's why it's so important that we recognize that Jesus was the Messiah and that he is the king. Now, if we look at our own hearts, and you can just sort of close your eyes and picture it in your head is Jesus the king of your heart? Because if he is the Messiah, he did rise from the dead, he is the king of kings, then the personal application should be that Jesus becomes king of my heart. What's a kingdom with no king like? It's it's chaos, right? I, I picture it like if I send my kids down into the basement, unsupervised, it takes them about five minutes to turn into absolute anarchy right? There's screaming, yelling, fighting, punching. I mean, my little guy, he's going to be two in February, but like, he knows how to fight his sister already, right? Everybody has to win. I need to get mine. That's my toy. You can't play with it. There's a great struggle. We lose our hope, but when mom and dad show up, huh, all is right. All is back in order. Things are restored. Now, I, I mean, this is a silly metaphor, but I want you to think about your own Life in your own heart. I, I in the summertime, I was leading worship one Sunday morning, and, and I shared a thought about how you know when we we ask you to worship, a lot of the time people, I, I fear that people get the impression that we're saying, "Hold your hands up," like this is a stick up, you know, we're going to take your wallets or something. And I use this new metaphor, and I hope that you've, remember, you've remembered it over the months, or I hope hearing it for the first time today, it might change your perspective. But when we we lift our hands up to God, I picture it like, like my little two-year-old guy saying, Mom, I need you. I need you to make things right again. I'm not okay. So many of us try and be the king or the queen in our own heart. And I have to ask you, how's that going for you? It's, it's not that great because we don't tend to make the best long-term decisions for ourselves. And, and we're terrible heroes in our own story. Absolutely dreadful. Like, Go back and picture me yelling at my steering wheel and see how well I rescued myself. <laughs> right? Because if I'm trying to sit on the throne in my own heart, I can't win. I can't rule over my own kingdom. I, I don't have the capacity. And that's really what I want you to take home this morning. Um, maybe some of you haven't opened your heart up to Jesus, and I just want to share Revelation three twenty this morning. Says Jesus talking. It says, "Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me." Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. And I want you to just close your eyes and picture this. I know it's kind of cute and, you know, whatever. Some of you might be too manly or proud to do that. Just picture it. Jesus knocking on the door. But you know what? There's, there's no doorknob on the outside. The doorknob's on the inside. It says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. But you have to open the door, don't you? You have to open the door and invite Jesus in and I, w- I would take it one step further you need to let him take a seat on the throne because we're talking about hope being born but what good is hope if we have to rule in our own lives if we're still the one driving the bus it's going off a cliff so what do I want you guys to do with that this week I I really had to think long and hard about what conclusion we would come to. I mean, it's exciting to talk about the numbers, you know, Jesus is the Messiah and all these probabilities and yeah, we all agree and we all say amen, but if really all we're doing at church every week is saying amen and going, yeah, that was great, I loved hearing that, we need to sort of put handles on the message and take it home with us and use it every morning. So I have a little exercise for you guys to do, just for this week. Every morning when you get up, I just want you to imagine, use that cute little illustration that you were picturing earlier. And I want you to picture your heart. And there's the door, where Jesus is knocking. Let him in, let him sit on the throne. Wake up each day and say, Jesus, you are the king of my heart. You are the hope in my world. Then I want you to say, Thank you for being born. Thank you, Jesus, that you were born as my living hope so that I don't have to be in control. Because when I'm in control, it's chaos and disaster and yelling at the steering wheel. But Jesus, when you come in and you save the day and you sit as king on the throne in my heart, then I become useful to you and I can do things for your kingdom and for your glory. Finally, at least once before Christmas, would you sit down and read the Christmas story? It's in Luke chapter 1 and 2. It's just amazing how many times you read it and you just discover new things about it. I, I love the songs that they sang this morning. I'll, I'll let you guys in and uh, behind the curtain a little bit. When when the worship music is picked out, we often don't know what is going to be preached that Sunday morning. And it's funny how the Holy Spirit will just tie it all together. Because they sang Living Hope this morning, which, you know, is one of my favorite songs. Todd, Jesus Christ is my living hope. And he's also the Messiah. We sang Jesus Messiah after that. Isn't it like the Holy Spirit can just tie all of that in here together? And when we leave this morning, I don't want you to leave this place going, okay, church is done. Check off the box. Now it's time to go and do the next thing. But my hope is that this week as you go throughout your week and things become stressful and you know, you're feeling that tension, you can just stop and go, no, Jesus, you're the king sitting on the throne in my heart. I don't have to worry about it because you are my king. Can you guys all agree to do that this week? I, can you imagine what your life would be like if every time you ran into struggle and worry and you just had this, you know, this desire to take over and take control and you just stopped and went, no, Jesus, you are sitting on the throne in my heart, not me. Your kingdom is in my heart, and I'm going to do your will instead of my own. Can you imagine what life would be like if you did that instead? It would just be fantastic. So with that, let's pray. Let's ask God to, to make our, our week better, and then we're going to go. Father, this morning, we recognize that there are people who are going through stressful times. We show up to church And, you know, we've all got a to-do list in our head. God, may we each just take a moment to stop and say, Jesus, you are the king on the throne. You're the king on the throne in my heart, God, and I, I surrender that to you. God, may each person here just take the time this week to recognize that every day. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you, God, that Jesus was born and that he's our Messiah and our king And we ask God that you remind us of that as we go about our week. We ask for all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is king. We'll see you next week.